You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. When Nicole and I first moved here in the fall of 2005, that year, Christmas was on a Sunday. Because I was new to the church and I was new to the community, I wanted to communicate that we were committed and we felt called here. And so we had made the decision that we weren't going to be absent for any Sundays, even for travel, uh, for the first several months. And so because Christmas was on a Sunday, I didn't feel like I could miss that Sunday. And so we didn't go back to Virginia for that Christmas. And that was, that was hard. That was difficult. All of our family was back there. And some of them were able to come and see us uh, after the Christmas holiday and visit with us. And then they went back. And all of those goodbyes, and there were many of them over the, the next several years, they were really, really hard. They were difficult goodbyes. But we knew that there was a reason for us to be here. We felt like we were called to be in Chandler, that God had called us to be here, to serve the church here, and to reach this community. And so while the, the goodbyes were hard, and it was difficult, and though there was this, this hard thing, and, and saying farewell again and again, and staying so far removed from family, we knew that there was a reason. We knew there was a reason that we were here. And some of you have most likely had to say some really hard goodbyes. You've had to say farewell to someone that you care about, maybe because they've gone on to be with the Lord, or maybe because they're in the the service or the the ministry or the military, and they've had to, to be far away, and you know that there's a purpose in that distance or that separation. And though it gives it some meaning and some significance, though it gives it a purpose, it doesn't make it easy. And in John 14, Jesus is telling the disciples goodbye. They're having this hard, long goodbye over the next several chapters as Jesus is getting ready to be arrested and then he'll be tortured and executed on the cross. And this is the final conversation that Jesus has with the disciples. And it takes the course of chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16 into chapter 17. And John is giving us all of this detail about Jesus's final conversation with the disciples. And it begins in 14 with Jesus responding to their fears and their sorrow. He's responding to them being sad that Jesus has told them that he's about to go away. Because in chapter 13, in verse 33, he tells them, I'm going away and you will not be able to follow me. Verses 36 to 38, Peter says, why can't we go with you, Jesus? And Jesus is explaining to him why there has to be this separation and they're upset. And so Jesus responds in chapter 14. But before we read that, I want you to get a real sense for the closeness and the connection that Jesus had with the disciples. Because otherwise it's going to seem like, well, you guess you just had to be there type moments. You see, while Jesus was the teacher and the disciples were the students, this is more than a student-teacher relationship. And those can be incredibly strong. But it wasn't that the disciples came to class five days a week and Jesus taught them during class time and then they went back home to their families. They were spending all of their time together for three years. 
They were going on long journeys. They were walking together on these long trips. They had been through some really dangerous and exciting moments together. They had all of this shared history, and Jesus is having this conversation with disciples that he's grown very close to. In fact, in John 13, John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loves. And mentions that while they're having this conversation, John is leaning on Jesus at this meal. They're that close. And so because they're so close, this saying farewell is extremely tough. It's difficult. It's emotional. And that's the setting when Jesus says these words in John 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas, one of the disciples, saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus, we don't understand what you're talking about. And if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way to get there? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip, another one of the disciples, pipes up and says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will suffice us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been with you such a long time, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. You know, with people that we're close to, we have tons and tons of conversations. And in our culture today, our context of technology, we have multiple conversations on multiple different channels. And so you might on the same day have a conversation with your spouse in the morning and then have a phone call later on and then a stream of text messages and then later you'll pick up the conversation in the evening. Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples around the the table as they're having the Last Supper and he will eventually make his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he'll, he'll be arrested and this conversation continues throughout, not only while he's sitting there with them, but while he's walking in the way and John is giving us all of this conversation. Because we have so many conversations, most of them fade from memory, right? Some of you this week, you were like, you didn't tell me that and your spouse is like, I definitely told you that but it faded from memory. And there are many conversations that because we can't retain all of it, they fade away. We forget about them. But there are some conversations that stick out to us, that crystallize in our minds. They're important. They're momentous. They're significant. And we cannot forget them. 
Jesus is having the final conversation with the disciples, and these are words that John holds on to dearly. He holds on to them tightly, and he records all of this long conversation with us, for us here in these chapters. John gives us more of this conversation than anyone else. And his account of Jesus' final days does not differ from the other disciples and that it contradicts, but rather it differs and that John is focused on different details than the others are. Because John is focused on this conversation, he gives us so much detail about what Jesus says to them here. And I hope that it's going to be incredibly beneficial for you over the next several weeks as we break down this conversation and we see the final words that Jesus gives to the disciples. And that I hope that, that... As important as these words were to John, they'll be important to us. Because we'll see the life and the truth that they bring into our hearts. But before Jesus gets into any of the things that he wants to tell the disciples, before he can give them any of the advice and the counsel, before he can give them any of the instruction, what does he say first? He says, let your heart not be troubled. Don't be afraid, in other words. And Jesus in this moment, before He gives them this advice, before He gives them this teaching on the Holy Spirit that we'll get to, before He talks about heaven, the first thing He says is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Jesus has so much that He needs to tell them, but the very first thing that He tells them is, you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You can be calm. Sometimes when we're going through something difficult, we'll go to a friend and we just want them to give us comfort and they want to give us advice. And we say, that's not the reason I came here. I don't want you to tell me what I should do. And sometimes it's fitting and it's appropriate for us to give advice and to give counsel and Jesus is going to do that. But the very first thing that he does is he shows the disciples yet again that he cares about them and he cares for them emotionally. He knows that they are afraid. But what's really amazing to me about this is that we know from John telling us in chapter 12 and chapter 13 that Jesus himself is troubled. He is troubled because he knows the cross is waiting for him just around the corner. He is emotionally exhausted. He is troubled. He is fearful of the cross. He is going to go to this pain and suffering. He's willing to accept it even though he despises it. The scripture would tell us. So in this moment of Jesus' great personal emotional crisis and need, what is he doing? He is caring for the needs of the disciples. For those of you that are parents, you know that there have been countless moments when you just need a break. But your children, your children have needs. And in those moments, you are strong for them. And that's what Jesus is doing here right in this sequence. He is being strong for the disciples. He's going to use this moment not to receive care himself, not to be served himself, but rather to serve them. And he loves the disciples to the very end by showing them care, by washing their feet, by having time with them, by caring for their hearts and telling them they don't have to be afraid. What Jesus is doing here for the disciples is like when your child comes out for the seventh time at night when you're trying to put them to bed because they're scared of a monster in the closet. And you go and you show them that there's nothing to be 
afraid of. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's telling the disciples, don't be afraid. And if anybody can do this well, it's Jesus. And he does it by giving them reassurance. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And what he's saying here is, you know God to be good. You know that you can trust Him. You know that He wants what is best for you. And just as you know that God wants what is best for you, know that I want what is best for you. And that this is a good thing. That I am working to bring about good for you. I talked with a a fellow pastor recently who's just gone through some really difficult heartbreak, both personally with his family and his church. And he's he's telling me all these things that that, that he and his family have have gone through and all the things that he and his church have have faced. And, And you know what he kept saying? But we know the Lord's good. And and this happened, but but we know that God is good. And he's able to have this joy and this peace throughout all of this adversity because he has not forgotten that God is good. He is trusting that God is good. And Jesus says to the disciples, you know that God is good. You know that God is for you. You know that he is one that you can trust. Trust me as well. Trust me. Trust God. Trust me. Jesus reassures them with trust, and then he reassures them with hope. Because I'm sure that the disciples are thinking in their mind, Jesus, you've just told us that you're leaving. How can this be a good thing? And you and I have definitely had moments in our lives where something doesn't go as we had hoped or we had expected, and we say, how can this be good? How can God possibly bring good about this situation? And so Jesus tells them how. He's going to bring about good. He says to them, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He talks to them about heaven. He talks to them about the Father's house. Later, he'll talk to them about the Holy Spirit. But we're going to focus on heaven this morning. He says, this is a good thing because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And this place that I'm preparing for you is my father's house. And in my father's house are many mansions. Now, in our King James, it has the word mansions. And the reason that it has the word mansions is because the word that Jesus used was to be, it was the idea that it's conveying is a house that is permanent. A house that is spacious. And so Jesus is not using a word that talks so much about the extravagance of this home. And when you and I think of a mansion, we think of a a house that that has all kinds of of costly, ornate features. And that's not really what Jesus was trying to, to, to emphasize here. Rather, he's emphasizing the spaciousness and the permanence of these dwellings. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, listen, I'm I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you that could be on MTV Cribs. It's it's nice. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you that can be on lifestyles of the rich and famous. No, he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you that is spacious and permanent. It's not not, not that it's extravagant, but that it's spacious and permanent. And for these 
people, for the disciples, for the people in Jesus' day. Many of the homes that they would have lived in would have been temporary homes. And even the homes that they lived in that were permanent were incredibly small by comparison to what you and I have come to be accustomed to today. And Jesus is saying, listen, the place that I'm going to prepare for you, it's a place that is going to be forever. And it's a place where there's room for all of us. And what does that mean when there's plenty of room and it's going to be around forever? It means that when we get there with Jesus, there'll never be another goodbye. Because there'll be plenty of room for us all to stay. And we'll be able to stay forever. Forever. There's plenty of room and it's forever. Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples because the time has come for him to leave. His time has run out. He's, he said a couple of times, my hour is now here. And you and I, we can identify with this because we know that our time is limited. That our day is coming. That we only have so long. And, and it doesn't matter how powerful or rich we become. We still only have so much time. Bill Gates will get just as much time today as you. President Trump will get just as much time today as you. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how powerful you are. We all have the same amount of time. And that time is fleeting. It goes by so fast. But the place that Jesus is going is permanent. There's no countdown. There's no clock we've got to be watching. We're there forever. There's no, boy, we're about to run out of time and not have enough time to be together anymore. It's this ongoing, permanent place for us. What is it that people typically think about once they have said goodbye to someone that they love or they care about? They regret taking time with family for granted. They regret not making the most of those days, the time that they had. And here the disciples are realizing they're coming to the end of their time with Jesus and there's so much that they don't know and they don't understand. Jesus is saying, don't worry, there's coming a point. We're going to go to a place that is forever. And there will never be another goodbye. And for those of us who have said some really hard goodbyes, some heartbreaking farewells, when we get there, there are no goodbyes. For those of us who have come to realize just how fragile life is and tomorrow is not guaranteed when people we care about can be taken tragically and unexpectedly in an accident by some disease through violence, we will long for a place where there's this permanence. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's a place of permanence. It's a place of abiding, of being together. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. Jesus is saying, I'm going and I'm making the house ready. I'm getting it ready. And I know that God doesn't operate in time like we do, but man, if he did all this in seven days, what has he been able to do up there? It's going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And when we think of streets of gold, we tend to think of all the awesome stuff that will be there and, and the, the, the beauty of heaven. And 
You know what I think? I think that, that when we get to heaven, it's going to be less about the where and the what, and it's going to be more about the who. Those that we've said farewell to, those that, that we have said goodbye to, those that we miss, and the one who has prepared it for us and made it possible. Heaven will be about seeing the God that we love and the people we love, and there will be no goodbyes there. And you know what Jesus says here? Jesus says, in my Father's house are many permanent, spacious dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying, I'm I'm not just telling you this because it's nice to hear in this moment. And if you've gone to any funeral or visitation, you know that there are things that we say in those moments because it's just, it feels good to say something because we don't know what to say. And oftentimes people will say they're in a better place or they've got their wings. Things that have no, no place in reality, that have no place in Scripture. We're just saying things that are sentimental because we want to say them. And Jesus is saying, listen, disciples, you know me. You know that I'll tell you the truth even if it's hard. I'm not telling you something just because it's nice to hear. I'm telling you because it's the truth. I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I would tell you. I'd be upfront and honest with you. I wouldn't pull any punches with you. And Jesus says, the way you know, and whither I go, you know. Jesus is talking to his disciples, the ones that are spending time with him, the ones who are followers of him. And he's saying, you know where I'm going. You get it. They don't know that they get it yet. Sometimes when I'm doing homework with my daughter, I don't know. And I know that she knows. Like, I, I just asked you this question three minutes ago, and you got it right. I know that you know. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. And Thomas pipes up and goes, no, we don't. We don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. How can we know the way to get there if we don't even know where it is that you're talking about going? And Jesus responds to Thomas and gives him this powerful statement. It's the sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John. Remember, Jesus has made all of these I am statements that connect him to the God of the Old Testament. He said, I am the bread of life. Now he's saying, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses here for the way, it's an incredibly common word. Used over 90 times in the New Testament to refer to a road or a journey. There are times that Jesus and the disciples are walking and they come across a beggar along the way. Someone along the road. Other places where it tells us that they come into a countryside by way of the sea. It's a common word that you and I would use similar to the way that we use trip or journey or road. But Jesus uses it here and it takes on a special meaning because after this in the book of Acts, people would be referred to as those who belong to the way. Not just a way, but the way. Paul would stand before Roman rulers and he would give a defense of himself because he's on trial for preaching the gospel. And he would talk about he wasn't always a Christian, but there was a time before he was a Christian that he persecuted Christians. And he said, there was a time that I persecuted those who belonged to the way. One of the, the Roman rulers asked Paul to explain more rightly the way. 
And the way became this, this synonym for the Christian belief, the Christian system of putting your trust in Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the way. He makes it possible for us to get from here to the Father's house. He makes it possible for us to get from our place of sin into fellowship with God. He makes it possible for us to be reunited with the Creator who made us and we were separated from by our sin. He's the way. And people who came to be a part of this movement and a part of this faith, they said, I am a part of the way. I believe in the way. What they were saying is, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Him. I'm a follower of Jesus. How do we get there? Thomas says, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way. I'm it. I'm how you get there. I'm the way. And we use the language. We want everyone to follow Jesus, grow in a group, and serve on a team. And the reason we use the phrase follow Jesus is because we don't want you to have this mindset, well, I was saved when I was a kid. Are you in the way? Are you, are you following Jesus on the way? Are you following him today? It's this ongoing thing. Are you on the path? Are you on the journey? Are you following Jesus? Jesus used the phrase born again. And he was referring to someone who's starting a new life. What happens when you start a new life? You're, you're living that life. And when we come to follow Jesus, we're in the way. We're on that path. We're following Jesus step by step, day by day. Jesus says, I'm the way, Thomas. Follow me. I am the way. I am the path that will get you there. I've been told that I'm not easy to follow. If we're driving somewhere and you're following me, I will probably leave you behind. I'll run through yellow lights. Um, I won't signal ahead of time to let you know, or signal at all, really. I mean, when I get in the car and I'm headed somewhere, I'm thinking about the place that I'm going. I'm not thinking about who's behind me. I'm thinking about this upcoming Sunday sermon or the next Sunday sermon. I'm thinking about something at church. My mind is not with what's going on behind me. But when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's saying, I'm about to leave, the whole purpose he was leaving was for the disciples. He was leaving so that he could prepare the way for those that were coming behind him. And he invites us to follow him because he has made the way possible. When he went, he was blazing a trail for us to follow. You see, you and I, we are lost in our sin. By nature and by choice, we are far from God's righteousness. And Jesus came to be here with us in the middle of this mess, in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of the hurt and the brokenness of this world, and he was not tainted by sin, and so he came from heaven to us and then blazed a trail from us back to heaven so that we can follow him in the way. How do we get to the Father? We follow Jesus. We follow him in the way. And you and I, we are not able to find the way on our own. Because we are completely lost. There would be no way if he hadn't made a way. You could even think Jesus, of Jesus as the bridge. Because the, the gulf, the river, the valley that was between us and God was so great, caused by our sin, that the only way we can get there is for Jesus to make it possible for us to get there. I am the way. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I am the way, 
and the truth. You ever had that moment where you're convinced you're lost and your spouse is like, we're not lost. I know where we're going. What's beautiful about Jesus is because he's the truth, we can have confidence that we're headed in the right direction. We can know that we're headed in the way. On the way to the Father. Because as we come to know more and more about Jesus, the words that he said resonate with our hearts. It resonates with our broken spirit. It resonates with what's messed up in us. And that's the reason when we read Scripture, it's like, is this about me? We read this book to see Jesus and what ends up happening is we see ourselves in it. It's the reason you come to church and you feel like Pastor Daniel's talking about you. It's not me. It's Jesus is the truth. And what he has to say is so real that it resonates with who we are. The very best music and plays and movies and books are all based in reality. And even fantasy novels or science fiction, any of that that seems so out of the ordinary, the, the, the strength of it is in the things that are common with what we experience. When the characters face the same things we face. When we read Scripture and we see that the remedy for our brokenness is laid out and made clear and we say, man, that is me. I do that. That's where I struggle. That's where I have been. It's real. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And John tells us that the reason he wrote this gospel is so that we might believe in the name of the Son of God, and that believing we might have what? Life. And not long days, but real, actual life. And Jesus says, in me, you find the way, you find the truth, and you find that life. All of it is found in Jesus. Thomas Akimpis said in The Imitation of the Christ, that Jesus' call to us is, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, and the life for which you hope. I am the unalterable way. I am the infallible truth. I am the unending life. I am the way that is straight. I am the supreme truth. I am the life that is true and blessed and full. That's what Jesus is. And if there's never been a moment in your life where you've realized that you're just wandering in circles, lost, There's never been a moment in your life where you said, I realize that Jesus is the truth. That He is the way. That real life is in Him. If there's never been that moment, you must decide to follow Him. There's got to be a moment where you decide to leave your life behind and follow Jesus in the way. And it's possible for every one of us because even Paul, who persecuted people who belonged to the way, even Paul, who wanted to take people who called themselves believers in Jesus, believers in the way, he was throwing them in jail. And then he has this moment where he sees that Jesus is real. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And he abandons his old way to follow Jesus. And that can happen for you. And it's so important that it does. 
Because what does the rest of verse 6 say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no way to the Father other than Jesus. He's the only path. He's the only bridge. He's not one of many ways. Jesus refers to himself as the way, the truth, the life. All of those exclusive claims. And if we didn't catch it, he then goes even further and he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. And I know that we live in an age of inclusivity and that everyone's everyone's opinion should matter and that everyone's beliefs are important. But friend, let me tell you, the gospel is incredibly inclusive and that it welcomes all to heaven. There are many mansions. It's spacious. There's room for all. But there is only one way to get there. It's incredibly inclusive, but also dramatically exclusive. Everyone is welcome, but we must follow Jesus in the way. It is the only way. And if you're here today and you're trying to take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of of New Age thought and a little bit of of this mysticism and a little bit of this religion and mix it all together and hope that in your your blend you've got what you need, it's not going to work. Because it's only through Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus isn't the icing on some religion cake. He is not some add-in to the mix of whatever it is that you're thinking might give you what you need. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. And it's so important that we understand that. Not only so that we will put our faith and trust in Christ and come to experience reunification with the Father, come to have a place in heaven, but also we'll understand what the rest of this conversation is about. Because Jesus is saying goodbye to the disciples because He's going to make the way. And He's leaving them behind to show others the way. Why didn't Jesus just take the disciples with Him? He loved these guys. They were incredibly close. He's making the way back to the Father possible. Why doesn't He just take them now? Because they were left there to show the way. And then the next lines of chapter 14, He tells them that He's sending the Spirit who's going to give them the courage and the comfort that they need to do this job. In 15, He's going to tell them that they will lay down their lives for their friend, which is Him. Jesus calls them His friends. He says, you will lay down your life to let others know about the way. You see, the purpose in this goodbye was that Jesus was going to make the way and the disciples were staying to show the way. And that's the reason you and I are still here. If we have put our trust in Jesus, we're here to show others the way. Because there is no other way other than Jesus. He is the only way. Recently I heard Rick Bazet, who's a pastor in Arkansas, tell a story about when his daughter was four years old and she decided to run away from home. How many of you decided to run away from home when you were a kid, right? I decided to run away from my parents, but the suitcase was in the attic, and I couldn't reach the pool thing to get the suitcase down, so I didn't run away. <laughs> but little Haley Bazette, Rick Bazette's daughter, watched a movie on TV, and there was a girl who ran away and had a great adventure. And she decided she was going to do the same thing. 
And so she took her little red wagon and she put her stuffed animals in it with candy. But then she did something that was pretty scary. She went to bed and waited for her parents to fall asleep and slipped out of the house while they were sleeping. She left the cul-de-sac, walked out of their neighborhood, and every one of you that's a parent is terrified right now. As she came out of the neighborhood, she was along a four-lane highway. Four-year-old girl in her little nightshirt pulling her red wagon, and a lady pulled over and said, what are you doing, little girl? She said, I'm running away from home, and it's so much fun. And the lady said, Honey, is everything okay? Is everything all right at home? Yeah, I'm just going on an adventure. She said, honey, this is not safe. You can't be out here. You need to get in the car. We're going to take you back home. And she said, I can't ride in the car with strangers. (laughs) And so that lady followed her as she walked back through the neighborhood, pulling her little red wagon home, knocked on the door, woke up Rick and Michelle Bazette, and they came and, man, just thank you so much. We had no idea. You know what he said? He said, if, if my little girl hadn't come home that night, I'd still be living in that cul-de-sac in Louisiana. And I'd still have a landline with the same number, hoping that one day, my little girl would come home or she'd call. I wouldn't leave until she came home. And when Jesus leaves the disciples, he says, I go to prepare a place and it's big. And there's many places. It's spacious. I go to prepare a place for you. The reason he's telling them goodbye is that he is going to make the way and prepare the place. But they're staying to show others the way. And friend, right now, all around us, there are people that spiritually, they're like a four-year-old walking along the highway. Say, this is so much fun. And Jesus is waiting for them to come home. That's the reason we're still here. He went to prepare the way, to make the way, and we're here to show others the way. And there's this distance between us, and there's this longing to be with Him. But we've got a job to do. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?